pain was so bad, then I was asking for pain relief. Right. Then my OBGYN said, okay, fine, take gas and air, take Entonox. Um, so I was breathing in through the machine gas and air and I didn't feel any relief. In fact, maybe I, I was also breathing wrong, I'm not sure. But I started to get very nauseated. And I was just like trying and trying, it's not working. And I told my doctor, like, it's not working. Doctor, I, I feel really like vomitation. I remember her yelling at me. Not that maybe I'm yelling, but I still, I remember having such a visceral reaction because I was in so much pain and looking at my doctor being so mad at me for saying that I'm in pain because the pain killer wasn't working. She's like, no, pain, this works fine. You know, you just take three deep breaths properly. It works, it works fine. You know, you're having 100% oxygen. You should be fine. And I was like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not fine. Like, I, you know, at that point I was like, I, I remember crying. You know, like, I don't know why everyone's mad at me. You just heard Amina describing how she struggled to advocate for herself during the birth of her first child. Whenever she asked a question, particularly about what she felt were unnecessary procedures or interventions, she faced hostility from nurses and doctors, so much so that she ended up agreeing to things she never wanted during her labour and delivery. On each episode of The Darkest Light, I talk to mothers about their journey through pregnancy, childbirth and parenting. These are the stories you don't often hear, the ones women aren't encouraged to tell. These are the stories I wish I had heard before deciding to become a mother. They're out there, floating around in scraps and whispers. This podcast is an attempt to gather the pieces. I'm your host, Kanya Almeida. Thanks for joining me. For months, I knew Amina only as Raising Iman. It's the Instagram handle she uses to share information about birthing practices with hundreds of followers. One of the first pieces of content that made me fall in love with her work was a post that simply said, you have a right to ask questions or refuse treatment. It was followed by a bullet point list of questions to ask your OBGYN during pregnancy. It really resonated with me. As I was searching for an obstetrician during my first trimester, I also noticed this hostility towards patients who asked questions. One doctor, who I eventually opted not to continue my pregnancy journey with, told me during our first consultation, you know, I'm being very patient with you. Not everyone will tolerate all your questions. I finally did find a doctor who appreciated and invited my questions, but she was an exception. Everyone else, from hospital staff to junior doctors to nurses, seemed to view patient advocacy as a nuisance. The prevailing hospital culture both during my prenatal care and during childbirth, was exactly as Amina described. Whatever we're doing here doesn't concern you. Do as we say. So I was thrilled when I found another Lankan mother urging people to push back, to seek out information and make choices accordingly, to resist and refuse the assumption that pregnancy and childbirth simply happen to us, that the decisions concerning our bodies are best left to the professionals, and especially to break the unwritten rule during labor and delivery. Sorry, no questions. I was very proactive with my health because coming from a Muslim background, I know that health is something that you only worry about when it's not there. So soon after I got married, I was like, no, I want to find an OBGYN. I want to cultivate that relationship with her. When Amina got pregnant in 2018, she decided to stick with the same obstetrician gynecologist she'd been seeing for three years. Even though there were a few practices, she found a little strange. When uh, I would book an appointment with her, like later in the day, sometimes it wouldn't even be five minutes. It would just be a quick dash, you know. She wouldn't uh, answer questions. She'd be in a rush. 
you can see basically she wants to finish the appointment and move on with her her schedule when i would ask questions about treatments i had read so for example i wanted to check uh, because i know my family history we have a history of polycystic ovarian syndrome she was she would, like laughed me laughed it off and like no no you're young you're healthy you know and things if there's a problem with conceiving then only we'll uh, we'll check amina shrugged off these concerns because deep down she trusted her doctor and was satisfied with the level of care she was receiving things around her were somewhat chaotic her husband was abroad and she was living with her parents in kandy so having the stability of a known care provider was important to her so important that every month she made a 6 hour round trip from kandy to colombo for her prenatal checkups i was so healthy <laughs> it was amazing didn't have really bad first trimester problems I, my weight and all was under control no blood pressure issues i was like a perfect candidate for a normal delivery it was like shocking how easy my pregnancy was closer to her due date she started watching labor and birth classes online and began to formulate a birth plan she wanted a vaginal delivery she wanted labor support so she could avoid medicalized pain relief for as long as possible she didn't want any surgical interventions her doctor didn't engage in long discussions on the subject she gave brief answers and amina assumed that she would support her choices on those lines i asked her a few questions and everything that i asked was kind of like dismissed like ah yes no need to worry like i asked her can i can i do most of the early stages of labor at home because that's what i had read do i need to come to the hospital and just hang around um she said no no uh, we have to check you can have meconium in utero which is kind of looking back now it's foreshadowing what actually happened in my delivery so then she said uh, no no come and check and then everything is fine we'll send you home very very chatty and friendly and auntie like like don't worry don't worry everything will be fine and i also like a naive you know first time pregnant person was like oh okay everything is fine we are on the same page i i, I don't know how it should have been i hadn't seen any other doctors before this was the one doctor i had an interaction with again i don't know too many people who like in my community who were like as proactive as i was about my own health so i was like i'm going to do this and this is the only interaction i had so this is okay like if everything hadn't happened the way it happened i probably still go back to her and still be kind of right. tolerating that uh, interaction when amina's doctor mentioned meconium in utero she was referring to a situation in which a fetus passes meconium or fecal matter while still inside the amniotic sac there's a huge body of medical research and a number of variables which determine whether or not meconium in utero signals a medical emergency we'll get into that later in the episode for now it's enough to say that amina carried her pregnancy to term without any issues and felt both mentally and physically prepared for the birth somewhere close to my due date maybe a week before i had come in for one of my final checkups my doctor she she um she did a checkup and everything and she did a, a cervical check as well i think a vaginal exam and then she told me like oh okay you're you've already like pretty much completely effaced i think you're like 1 cm dilated things might be happening very soon i think this was probably uh, like a thursday i think and uh, she's like oh you might get into labor you might start feeling labor pains uh, this very night if not come in on saturday you know come in saturday early morning check yourself in and you'll have a baby it was kind of like that like i'm being so naive i was like oh wow okay this this turkey is cooked you know this this ball is rolling We're all like excited and you know thinking that um everything's going to happen baby is coming and uh, yeah nothing happened like nothing happened i didn't get any pains or no water breaking nothing it was just another regular day and uh, then friday also passed and then like saturday 
I went into the hospital. By this time, I was very clear with her. Like, I wanted a natural birth. Like, I was going to try a natural, natural birth. I'll, you know, be at home. Let my water break. Let contractions start. Let things happen on my own. And then I'll come to hospital. Uh, so, anyway, Saturday, we all, I get all packed up and I go in thinking that the doctor will explain. Okay, you're not in any labor. You go home. I, I'm going through all the administrative like check-in to the hospital like I'm getting all those things done they're asking me to get into the room they're asking me to change clothes they're like shaving me what is happening now like okay I, I I'm, I'm not in labor so why is all these things happening and then then only I start to realize okay something's not right I, I I told my husband like why are they checking me in as if I'm in labor I'm not in labor so can I speak to the nurse and all that and the nurses told me like don't worry we'll just get you checked in and once you're ready, when the doctor comes, she'll see you. And I, again, just, I'm also happily just going along with everything. Through it all, Amina remained confident that she'd communicated her feelings clearly to her OBGYN and that she'd soon get an explanation. Her parents and her husband, who'd accompanied her to the hospital, had similar confidence in the doctor. But there was no sign of the doctor. And meanwhile, the nurses were forging ahead with their procedures. The nurses told me they wanted to put in um, that... Uh, the prostaglandin gel, they, they wanted to basically induce. The induction. The induction, yes. They wanted to put the gel in uh, and then start the labor. And I was like, confused, like proper confused. That one was like, okay, fine, no, stop. Okay, don't do anything. Uh, can I please speak to the doctor? I told her I want to do, have a norm, like a vaginal delivery at least without any intervention. Um, can I speak to her? So, so now you're in the bed. I, I'm, in the, I'm in bed. I'm in the hospital gown. I think I already had the... The suppository, <laughs> I'm all ready to start, except there's no labor, right? And then I'm like, this is weird. Can we stop now, please? Like, time out, please. And then the doctor, then the nurses are like, oh, why? They showed me the paper and the, the, the chit that the doctor had given me. And it had said, like, uh, cervical ripening gel to be put in on Saturday. Prostaglandin, or cervical ripening gel, is a substance used to soften the cervix in preparation for labor. According to the Sri Lankan College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, prostaglandins carry risks and should therefore be used only when there's a clear indication that its benefits outweigh those risks. The college's guidelines go on to state that any time labor is induced, the reasons should be clearly explained to the patient who should give her consent. As far as Amina was aware, there was no medical necessity for an induction. And she was pretty shocked to learn that her doctor had made this decision without consulting or even informing her. So then when the doctor came in, I think she was already told by the nurses before that this, this patient, um, me, that I'm uh, kind of resisting like, the instructions that she had given. So when I met her, she was like, oh, okay, now what's the problem? You know, what's the problem? Why are you, why are you not cooperating? And I was like, all right, doctor, I think I thought you were clear. Like I wanted to, you know, go into labor on my own. Why are all these things... Are all these things being given to me and during this whole time like I'm obviously in a hospital gown and I'm utterly confused and I'm just like oh doctor and I, in my head I'm thinking oh doctor this is just a misunderstanding I must have misunderstood you right. me 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 all this is me I'm taking it on me I must have misunderstood you like obviously you tell me you know what have I misunderstood like that kind of deference still I'm giving no you were already you know dilated this is just a small a small thing just to get your labor started and all and I was like then I kind of had to get into a battle with the doctors and the head nurses there uh, to leave. The doctor's like, no, 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 but like, this is fine. Just do it. Why wouldn't you want to deliver on a Saturday? Why wouldn't you want to deliver on a day when the hospital is fully staffed? You know, why, why, why? Now, if you know me at all, when people start to, you know, push me, I get very stubborn. I get these read this much notes. This is not right and I don't want to do it. 
never mind if it's right i don't want to do it she was going on about how i also have commitments you know i i can't be there on call all the time and i was like okay but i want to go home now amina was completely alone in this battle her husband and her parents thought she should simply do what the doctor was telling her to do but amina was adamant and finally her doctor backed down going also this uh, my mom was just talking i think to one of the hairdressers there and she's like oh you're, you're leaving labor can start any time you know you're already dilated why not just stay anything can happen you can have the baby immediately and i got this sense is like uh, she was like so scared that i would walk out the hospital door and the baby would fall out of me it's like no <laughs> no i know i know that much you know have a first time mom it's going to take some time and i live close by the hospital as well this would be the best outcome for me to go home and come in when my labor has started so even even like as i was leaving you can see the fear mongering you know that again it was the tone it's not outright shouting or verbal aggressiveness it's it's like kind of it's still manipulated you know you're still using like fear to manipulate like a, a first time pregnant mom into thinking that i should stay and you know stay on for an induction when i explicitly said that i didn't want that For those unfamiliar with the term, induction involves one or a series of measures to artificially stimulate labor. I talk about this in some detail in the pilot episode of this podcast, but in summary, each method of induction carries risks to both the fetus and the mother and should not be undertaken lightly, as Sri Lanka's College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists has clearly laid out in their guidelines. Even in situations where there is a medical indication for induction, which wasn't the case for Amina, The college states the decision should be made taking into account not only the clinical scenario but also the woman's views. 3 days after that encounter in the hospital, Amina went into natural labor with mild cramps around midnight. I knew that when early labor starts, you just stay home and just be calm and just just you can progress much better if you stay at home in your, you know, in your safe place. But because of this initial interaction with her and I was not so comfortable to stay at home and I knew my parents and my husband also would be happy if we go to the hospital soon. They're like, no, no, we'll just go to the hospital just to be safe. And I also acquiesced. That night, the labor ward was full, so she and her husband were pretty much left on their own. Nurses came and went, but aside from periodically offering painkillers, which Amina repeatedly declined, there was no labor support. Her doctor had gone home to rest after a late night surgery. Luckily, Amina was prepared to manage things on her own. I knew about, like, the double hip squeeze I was getting my husband to put counter pressure on my back whenever contraction was coming overall like mentally i was in a good place um and yeah i was pretty much left to my own and then they even um came and gave me some food they told me to eat a little and to drink a little from her research amina knew that staying energized upright and mobile would give her the best possible chance of managing her pain naturally and helping her labor to progress as fast as possible But soon the nurses started implementing protocols and procedures that made it impossible for her to do this. They stopped her from eating and drinking. They put in an IV, and finally they strapped on an electronic fetal heart rate monitor, which is a cumbersome piece of equipment that basically confines a laboring person to the bed. It also shifts the focus of the whole process away from the mother and towards the machine. No one came in to give me any kind of support or just like they just came in to check the monitor to just like check on things but not really to check on me at one point um the head of the obgyn department i think she was checking the fetal monitor 
and again no no description of anything was given to me like no one was talking to me I was just looking at the monitor and then she was like something about contractions not moving fast enough we have to put you on synthetic oxytocin Amina doesn't speak Sinhalese so she had no idea whether these interventions were serving a medical function or were simply being done as a matter of routine it was again something that I I wasn't comfortable about and again because I didn't understand whether anything was wrong and like they were just telling me that they need to do this I I remember asking her the contractions are painful enough why do I need synthetic oxytocin and her reaction was really like was very irritated the way she reacted to my question was as if I had been bombarding her with so many questions and I had been like very rude to her very aggressive to her she just got very mad what are you talking about like with 30 years of experience i know what i'm doing like i'm telling you you need to have this you need to have it so she just like flew off the handle and then she went out and i remember like looking at my husband like what 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 did i say so at that point i was like okay i'm strapped to a bed i'm in pain doctor is telling me to do this okay no it's not like you don't really feel like you have much of a choice even though i did i just didn't know amina was not wrong to ask the doctor this simple question There's a lot of conflicting research on the impacts of synthetic oxytocin on birth outcomes. Oxytocin is a hormone released during labor which stimulates contractions. A synthetic version of it can be administered intravenously when a woman's labor has stalled or isn't progressing fast enough for an obstetrician's liking. According to the World Health Organization, synthetic oxytocin may result in uterine hyperstimulation with adverse effects such as fetal asphyxia and uterine rupture. and thus increase the risk of a cascade of interventions during labor and delivery these interventions could be anything from the need for medicalized pain relief to an emergency c-section at the very least it's worth a conversation but amina didn't have that luxury they put me on the drip yeah and wow the contraction pain just shot up but it became so much worse and by then i was just like oh my god what the hell is this i felt like i was being split into two pain was so bad then i was asking for pain relief right then my obgyn said okay fine take gas and air take entonox um so i was breathing in through the machine gas and air and i didn't feel any relief in fact maybe i i was also breathing wrong i'm not sure but i started to get very nauseated when i was just like trying and trying it's not working and i told my doctor like it's not working doctor i, I feel really like vomitation i remember her yelling at me not that maybe I'm yelling but I still I remember having such a visceral reaction because I was in so much pain and looking at my doctor being so mad at me for saying that I'm in pain because the pain killer wasn't working she's like no pain this works fine you know you just take three deep breaths properly it works it works fine you know you're having 100% oxygen you should be fine and I was like I'm not <laughs> I'm not fine like I you know at that point I was like I, I remember crying to my husband like I don't know why everyone's mad at me I am a first time mother in so much pain. I don't think I'm asking too much to be treated with just a little bit of dignity like if, if you can't answer my questions okay fine just say you send somebody in to ask or to say that I I I can't I don't understand why they had to you know make me feel to feel like I I'm being like I'm the one who's questioning them in a very hostile way or I'm the one who's being ridiculous by asking such a thing like there's no bodily autonomy like you have to just you know do as they say from then on it was as the world health organization has described a cascade of interventions to get the baby out first the doctor artificially ruptured amina's water bag in doing so she discovered meconium in the amniotic fluid both the royal college of obstetricians and gynecologists as well as the american college of obstetricians and gynecologists 
recommend close monitoring of the fetal heartbeat to determine whether the presence of meconium is causing fetal distress. Such monitoring would then determine a mode of delivery most beneficial to both mother and child. In Amina's case, this step was bypassed and her doctor made a clear, split-second recommendation. She went very professional and she was like, I suggest it's best for you and the baby to go straight for a C-section. I was in so much pain, I felt like I was dying. I don't know if the baby was okay, I was so worried about that too. It's like, if you're suggesting C-section and we can get this over with, right. fine, you know? At that point, it was like, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, it was kind of pretty much not much option given. So I just said, yes, okay, fine, go. Couldn't, like, advocate for myself. In that in moment? That, yeah, in that moment. She was whisked off to the operating room and given an epidural and from that point on, Amina's recollections of the birth become a little fuzzy. Things were happening to her and around her, but no one was explaining what exactly was going on. Not even at the moment her daughter was born. But when they took her out, I didn't hear her cry. So my husband said, she's out. And she's out. I was like, I can't hear, I can't see, I can't hear. Like, what the hell is happening? I remember getting panicked. Like, is she okay? Is she okay? I would say, no one had the decency to come and like tell me like she's alright, it's okay, everything's fine. No, they just like left me there to panic. I had no idea what was going on like south of the border. I just look back at the photos and then I see that she was taken out, she was you know, taken to the baby warmer, they were doing checks on her, she was put to my face for a second and yeah, I didn't see her again uh, for another maybe two, maybe three hours. I had started shivering mid-surgery as well, so I couldn't hold her or anything even um, while I was on the table. And after they take her away and they do my repairs, I get taken to the, I think, post-anesthesia unit. And I'm still shaking and shaking and shaking. I'm so tired, but I'm still shaking, you yeah. know? Like, I'm, yeah. it's completely involuntary and I wanted to stop <laughs> completely, you know? I, I, I felt like I had been in a car crash, you know, and I just woke up. Amina described the hours and days after the delivery as a blur. She doesn't even remember the first time she properly held her daughter. She has vague memories of trying to initiate breastfeeding, but her baby would just thrash and refuse to latch. What she does remember are the hours leading up to the C-section and her interactions with her doctor. Those memories keep coming back to haunt her. I just remember very clearly uh, things that were happening when I was like in a state of fear or when in a state of deep pain. Those memories are like very visceral. Like, I can clearly remember, I remember seeing her face also when she was um, scolding me for not using the gas in here properly. And that like, that I, I can't even put a word on how I felt, but I can remember feeling something really bad. And I remember her, her face, like those memories just get fused into you because I think they happen when you're in such a primal place of fear and those things stick. Like I remember those things stick. I remember how scared I felt when I was told that we had to go for a C-section and I thought, well, that's it, I'm going to die, baby's going to die. So that's why I completely agree, birth trauma is absolutely 100% real because those memories, they won't go. <laughs> like they were there with me for a very long time. Amina's daughter was born with jaundice that arose because of a blood type mismatch. They spent days in the hospital, mostly with the baby under a blue light or being taken away for regular blood draws. There was almost no opportunity for skin-to-skin -skin contact, no privacy, no moment to simply enjoy her newborn. That bonding was just, was not there. When, I, when we finally got home, we were like, oh, thank God. Praise be to God, we're finally home. And I was just looking at her and I was like, now what? You know, what do I do? <laughs> like, we just, right. we just move on yeah. and we just get on with things. Everything's okay and we just get on with life. It was, it was just like the most surreal experience of my life.
To this day, Amina doesn't know why she went through such a traumatic birth. There are still so many unanswered questions in her mind. Was the C-section medically necessary? Were there other options she could have explored? Would things have been different if she had fought harder to be kept informed? Even after, after everything was done, when I went and like, spoke with my doctor, I was just two weeks later, I don't even think she remembered. So I couldn't even like speak to her and ask her, like, was this really... You to know, get that clarity. To get that clarity. I couldn't get that. So even until now, I'm just like, all right, everything happened the way it was supposed to happen. And, you know, thankfully we were all fine. You know, thank God. But at the back of her mind, Amina knew that what had happened to her was not right. In order to work through and process some of what she was feeling, she started an Instagram page. If her story could help even one other mother to be better prepared or come to terms with a negative birth experience, she would consider it worth her while. She now has close to a thousand followers. Many of them appeal directly to her when they're in need of birth-related resources. And she's constantly compiling lists of websites, social media accounts, or free online resources for new or expecting parents. As a first-time mom, I thought I prepared as much as I could. And I didn't realize that I'd also have to be ready to fight the system in order to get the birth that I want. I can go in like as an educated person who, who did as much preparation as she could. If I can go into birth that naive, you can imagine others who don't have access to this education or who don't think it's necessary to you know get educated, who just go in into the birth system thinking, my doctor will do what's best for me. But other women are probably going through much worse. Sometimes I look back and I think, damn, if I had just done this or if I had just known this or asked this, like maybe I wouldn't have ended up the way that I did. Transfer of knowledge just isn't there. That informed consent isn't there. And that just leaves a lot of mums feeling very guilty for things that happen to them that are not their fault. They just, they weren't told. They didn't know. But somehow we as women internalize that guilt. But if I can help at least one person try to get the information that they need to make better choices, that regardless of how the birth goes, then at least you, you feel empowered knowing that you did the best you could. If you don't know your options, you don't have any. When you look at the system, I know that Sri Lanka healthcare is actually quite good when you compare with other countries in the Asian space. But I also know that the system is broken. And the doctors here, whatever specialty, they're under a great deal of burden. And I, I can't get into all of that. I mean, we can't expect doctors to sort of start, I guess, saving us. We can start with ourselves. We can start learning and asking. And once we start asking or demanding, then they'll have to supply. Like the hospital system will have to cater to, to our demand. But you can expect to be treated like a, like a human being and be respected and just be given some kind of dignity. You shouldn't have to settle for anything less than that, I think. To see more of Amina's work, please follow at Raising Iman on Instagram. And if you have a story about birth practices in Sri Lanka or doctor-patient relationships or advocating for yourself during labor and delivery, I would love to hear from you. Please contact me on thedarkestlightpodcast at gmail.com. None of the information contained in this podcast should be considered medical advice. If you have questions about your health or your child's health, please contact a medical professional. You can also check our bio for links and resources. To learn more about our show, follow us on Instagram at The Darkest Light Podcast. The Darkest Light is produced by Devana Senanayaka. Music is by Kriti. Mixing and mastering by Zainab Wahid.